0: One, I encourage you all to pray, pray over the next few months, Uh, as I said during our first hour, about all of the details related to our pursuit of a ministry center, uh, a church building, and most of you know that uh, we're looking into closing on the purchase of an elementary school in Trenton, and it has a lot of things to commend it, and it has a lot of questions that we need to get answered as well about it. So we've been pursuing those as hard as we can, including having our architects here for four full days this past week. Uh, They brought in a team of engineers, a structural engineer, an electrical engineer, and a mechanical engineer as well to look over the building. And so, so far what we're hearing is is good stuff, but we uh, have a lot of questions we have to answer. So pray that the Lord would grant wisdom and that clarity and that he would uh, uh, give us the uh, the uh, uh, vision to ans- ask all the right questions, and then the ability to get the, the right answers for those, and then we as a church can make a decision about that in a few months, okay? So we need to pray fervently about that, and I'm asking you to, to do that, okay? So pray about, uh, pray about that. Also, by way of uh, things that are coming up this Tuesday, ladies, Moms and Tots Day Out, that'll be at 10 o'clock Tuesday morning at the Java Jungle in Canton. If you don't know where that is, we have maps at the Information Center for you to to pick up for that. And it's actually not just moms. If you're a a grandpa or a grandma that watches uh, little ones and you want a couple of hours of fellowship and to let them play, then by all means, please show up at uh, 10 on on Tuesday. And then our midweek program, uh, Wednesday at 7 o'clock at Patrick Henry Middle School, not here, but Patrick Henry, about a mile uh, from here. And we have... Ministries for all age groups. And for those of you that have been in Dr. Compton's class, uh, that class through first uh, first, supposed to be first, second, and third John, you didn't make it through first John, I don't think, but uh, it ended last week. So our semester hasn't ended until Wednesday, but he had to end because he has a commitment this Wednesday. So those of you that were in that class, he won't be there, but Dr. Snowberger from the seminary will be there and he's going to be looking at what the Bible teaches about the Lord's Table, communion, and baptism. So you will have a class, and uh, if you're interested in that topic, then uh, I'm sure you'll benefit from hearing Dr. Snowberger's teaching. Next Sunday evening is our Adult Christmas Fellowship, and that'll be at the Allen Park Community Center at 6 o'clock. And for that, we have uh, food, but then after the food, we have a white elephant gift exchange. We always have a good time with that. So that means a gag sort of gift, and you uh, wrap it up. You don't put your name on it, and you bring one per person. So if you're coming as a couple, each of you should bring one. Uh, but bear in mind, whatever gift you bring, uh, you will be identified as the owner of at the, at the end. So you don't want to be terribly embarrassed at the end. So, and we've had occasion. You know, I, I, I wound up with alcoholic beverage one time, <laughs> and no one, no one owned up to that. But I'm still narrowing it down. Yeah, So, we'll, we'll find you. Be sure your sin will find you out, all right? <laughs> so, wrap, wrap it up, and then we go around and identify who brought what. So, that'll be 6 o'clock next Sunday night at the Allen Park Community Center, and we ask you to bring either a, a dessert or a beverage, depending on the first letter of your last name, and that's listed in the program, and I forget which is which. A through L is, is one or the other. However, it also says in that paragraph that we ask everybody to bring an appetizer. So it's not just the dessert or beverage. It's the dessert or beverage, depending on your last name. But everybody's bringing an appetizer. So everybody got that? We're all bringing an appetizer plus the dessert or, or beverage. Otherwise, we got lots of beverages, we got lots of desserts, and we all get fatter. So, uh, and, and we want to get fatter, <coughs> But we want to get fatter on not just sweets. So bring some appetizers with it, all right? So that's next uh, Sunday night. And then uh, our holidays fall on a Sunday this year. So Christmas and New Year both fall on Sunday. and Because of that, we will not have the Discovering God Hour those two days, but just the one-hour worship at 11 o'clock. So on Christmas Day, 11 o'clock. New Year's Day, 11 o'clock as as well, okay? All right, let me uh, review for you... very quickly what we've looked at in our series thus far, Praying With Your Eyes Open. Pages 2 through 5, those four pages, uh, the title is Starting uh, Our Prayers in Jesus' Name. And the reason it's stated that way is because most of us have the habit, myself included, of ending our prayers by saying in Jesus' name, amen. And we pointed out a couple of weeks ago that that's a fine thing to do and there's actually good reason to do that. But to to come in prayer in Jesus' name, as we laid out in those four pages, means that we come to our prayers understanding that we can only pray because of Jesus. We can only access the Father because of Jesus. So that when I come in Jesus' name, I'm coming with that attitude and that mindset. That it's on the, the basis of Jesus and who He is and what He did that I can approach God at all. And that's why, in fact, Jesus said, you ask anything in my name it's because we recognize that we can only approach God because of Him and what he has, he has done. And we also, when we pray in Jesus' name, we are aligning our purposes with His purposes. So for me to pray in Jesus' name means I'm not coming with a selfish prayer, but rather I'm coming with a prayer that seeks to align itself with what God wants to do, both in my life and in, and in His world. So we had a number of things that uh, explain fully what it means for us to come in Jesus' name. And so coming in his name is not just reciting the words, but rather it's a mindset, an attitude with which we we come to God. That was pages 2 through 5, starting our prayers in Jesus' name. Then on page 6 last week, the top of page 6, the title is Offering Our Prayers in Jesus' Way. And offering our prayers in Jesus' Way means that we are praying according to the model of prayer that he gave to us. Jesus, when he was on earth, gave a model prayer. It is um, most often known as the Lord's Prayer. I prefer to call it the Disciples' Prayer because it's a prayer he was giving to us to pray, his followers, not for him to pray. And I always point out he can't pray that prayer, at least one aspect of it, uh, because it asks for forgiveness, and Jesus doesn't ask for forgiveness. He has nothing to ask forgiveness for. So it's a prayer for us and a model prayer for us. And we saw last week that before he tells us how to pray, He tells us how not to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, Jesus says, when you pray, do not, and then he gives three things that we're not to do. We don't pray as though God were ignorant. We don't pray as though God were were insignificant. And then he tells us how we should pray. And beginning on page 7 of your notes, we saw last week that we are to pray by coming to God with matters about The family, about the father, and matters about the the family. Page 7. We're to approach him appropriately. And approaching him appropriately, we saw, means addressing him appropriately. And so we call him our Father in heaven. And after we have come to him with that kind of mindset, understanding that he's our father, the kind of intimate relationship we have with him, but he is still our father who is in heaven and has all authority and is the sovereign God over his world. And so I approach him with that attitude and address him as such. And then I bring petitions. And in Jesus' model prayer, he gives six petitions, six requests. Three of those requests relate to the father. And three of those requests relate to us. And that's why I say, beginning on page 8, that when we come to God, we talk to the Father about the Father. The first three of those six requests are, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we saw those last week. And now, after having come to Him that way, we come to the Father about the family. We come to Him about our needs. And that's what we have on page 9. Page 9 of your notes, talking to the Father about the family. I want you to notice, you've got these six petitions, three about the Father, three about the family. And they're in that order on purpose. Talk to the Father about the Father first that puts you and puts me in the right frame of mind we're coming in Jesus name we're aligning our purposes with with his purposes when we say Lord I desire for your name to be made holy and for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done and then after I have reminded myself of what God's purposes are and aligned myself with those now I'm going to ask him for things for myself but I'm going to ask for those things for myself. Now get this, in the context of what I've just prayed about God's desires. So I'm now going to ask for these things as a means to accomplish those things. I'm going to ask for food, as we're going to see in a bit. But why am I going to ask for food? I'm going to ask for food so that I can participate in carrying out God's purposes in His world. I'm going to ask God to forgive me of, of my sins, grant me the cleansing from, from my sins so that I can be in right relationship with Him and carry out the work that He's doing in, in His world. I'm going to ask Him to protect me, as we're going to see, from, from evil. Why? So, I can, so with all of these things that I'm asking for myself, I'm placing them in the context of God's purposes in His world. And that's why it is good for us, and Jesus tells us in His model prayer, begin with talking to the Father about the Father, reminding ourselves about what His priorities are, and then placing our requests in the context of his, his priorities. So, page 9 now, having talked to the Father about the Father, we talk to Him about the family. And I say there, we should ask about both physical matters and spiritual matters. Jesus says, this is how, how to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Just a simple request for our material uh, sustenance. Give us our bread. Now, a few things about Jesus' choice of what we ask for for ourselves as it relates to physical material needs. Bread. Bread. Notice, it's not filet mignon, it's bread. Basic staple of of life. Uh, What is necessary for me to sustain life, and it's necessary, I desire to sustain life so I can participate in your purposes. So I ask for bread. Notice as well, how much bread? Give us today our daily bread. So I'm asking for a basic staple of life and I'm asking for an amount of that. Not a bread factory. Not a monopoly on the manufacture of bread in, in your world. I'm asking for today's bread. Daily bread. Now that word that's translated daily is a hopax legomena. I have no idea. I have no idea what that is. That is a fancy word that means that's a word that's used one time in your New Testament. I guess I could have said that. The word that's translated daily is used one time in your New Testament. And so you don't have really anything to compare it to. And for a long time, uh, commentators wondered when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, what what is meant by daily bread? And then about a hundred years ago, there was an archeological discovery in Palestine of a Palestinian housewife's grocery list and it had this it had this word on it the same word and it was just her going shopping to get stuff for the day's meal and that's why the NIV has translated give us today our daily bread. it literally means just enough for the day so I'm asking for a basic staple of life and I'm not asking for All the bread there is to have, I'm asking for enough for today, Lord, from your hand to supply what I need materially and and physically. Now, that raises a question. This is what what Jesus says, but the Bible says more than just what we have in the model prayer that Jesus gave. Uh, So it raises the question, is it okay for me, for you, to approach God with more than just Give me the material, I ask you to give me the material sustenance I need for, for today. And so I want to talk about that uh, for, for just a bit. We can ask for more, the Bible teaches elsewhere, than just the necessities in order to accomplish, though, God's, God's work. You all know that the Bible says He will give you what? The desires. He'll give you the desires of your heart says that in Psalm 37 and verse 4. He will give you the desires of your heart. But there's something, there's a phrase that comes just before that. And the phrase just before that in Psalm 37:4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So do you see what's happening even with the psalmist? There's an alignment of my priorities with God's priorities that I find my delight and my fulfillment in Him, not in a bunch of other stuff that I just want extraneously to spend upon my own pleasures. James, in James chapter 4, speaks to this very thing. You have not, he says, because you ask not. But then he says, and when you do ask, you ask amiss. How is it amiss? Because you ask to spend it on your own pleasures, says, says James. So he will give you the desires of your heart, but the assumption is I'm aligning the desires of my heart with desires that God has revealed as good and in alignment with his, his purposes. And I'd like to give you a couple of passages that I think help put this together. How my desires mesh with God's, God's purposes. One of those is Philippians 2 and verse 13. Philippians two thirteen. Notice what Philippians 2.13 says. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Now you just have to break that down a little bit. God is working in you for His good purpose. But how does His good purpose get accomplished? It's God working for you to will and to act for you to desire and then to act upon those desires and in turn his purposes get accomplished so the assumption here then is that you are aligning your will and your desires with God's purposes and it's the means that he uses to actually accomplish his purpose for you to have good and godly desires he will give you the desires of your heart but. You delight yourself in the Lord, and he gives you the desires of your heart. And God works in our hearts for us to will, to desire, to act so that his purpose is accomplished. So there's his purpose and then him using us and creating and fostering and cultivating desires within us that are in alignment with his purposes. And then you have 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians 1. Verse 11, Paul who wrote this, same guy who wrote Philippians 2, says this in 2 Thessalonians 1, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that, his po- and that by his power, now notice this, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. So I, Paul, am praying for you Thessalonians that God will fulfill, now notice carefully what it says. I am praying that God will fulfill his purpose. It doesn't say that. I am praying that God will fulfill every purpose of whose? It says of yours. So I am praying for you that God will fulfill every, notice, good purpose of yours and every act that's prompted by your faith. So what's going on here? God is accomplishing his purposes by working in our hearts and molding our desires so that they conform with his priorities. And then we come to God and we say, Lord, I desire to see this happen so that your mission, your purposes, your glory may be advanced. And when that happens, we can pray for each other and we can say, I'm praying for you that every desire of your heart a desire that's based upon delighting in the Lord with all of your heart a desire that's based upon wanting to see God's glory advanced and his purposes move forward I'm praying for you that every purpose of your heart will be fulfilled that's what Paul says for the Thessalonians what a great thing and so now I can come to the Lord you can come to the Lord and yes we ask him for our daily bread but we can ask him for our desires as well All the while examining those desires as to whether those desires are in alignment with what He has revealed. Would it be a good thing if Community Baptist Church acquired a ministry center? Would seem to be to carry out the Lord's work, to reach folks, to be able to do things that we're not able to do now, right? So we ought to pray accordingly. Now, not presumptuously, just accordingly. And say, Lord, this looks like a good thing to us. But at the same time, we don't know everything, and you do. And so we're asking you, Lord, we desire this. And we're asking that this desire of ours be in line with your purpose. And further, it's the desire of our heart that if it's not in line with your purpose, that it not happen. That's how we pray. And then we can pray confidently. Lord, we desire this. We want this. We know you can do this if you so choose, and it's in keeping with your good purpose. But we're relying on your wisdom and not our wisdom. And so, I ask you this What's your pleasure then? God is saying, I'll fulfill the desires of your heart and every good purpose of yours. But you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, What's my pleasure? What do I delight in? What do I want? And that needs to be reflected then in my prayers and the priorities of the petitions that I give in my prayers. If our delight, if our pleasure is to see people come to the Lord Jesus, to see people who have come to him grow in him and become like him, to see more and more people do that so that more mouths that now curse Him are turned to praising Him. These are all good things according to His Word. And Lord, we're asking You for these means in order to accomplish that, to see Your work go forward both here and abroad in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is all stuff God says I want. So we pray that. But we do so humbly, acknowledging that the Lord's wisdom is far above ours. And if this is not best for us, then Lord, we will look for what you have for us. And so back to page nine. Talk to the father about the family and ask him about physical matters, examining our own desires to ensure that they're in agreement with God's priorities. We can ask for more than just our sustenance, but it needs to be in order to pursue God's, God's mission and God's, God's purposes. So we ask for physical matters, and then we ask for spiritual matters. Jesus gives a fifth and a sixth the request petition. And the fifth one is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So forgive us our, our sins. King James says our trespasses. It may have trespassed. If you trespass on somebody's property, you've gone along over the the boundary line. And that's literally what the word means. I've crossed over a line. I have sinned. God has marked out the boundary, and I have sinned against that by going over it. And so it's saying, Lord, forgive me for for my sin against against you. 1 John 1 and verse 9, we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it should be the regular habit of the Christian, the child of God, to come to his Father and to seek seek forgiveness. But notice, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because we did our How to Be a Peacemaker, Making Peace, How to Overcome Conflict, and we talked about a bunch of that. So you can go back and listen to that online. But notice the last phrase, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, Jesus adds that line to say there's a connection between you being forgiven and your willingness to forgive. And your unwillingness to forgive others will mean you will not be forgiven. You say, really, that's, that, that, you're, you're reading a lot into that. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, here's why I know that to be true. Because in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6. It's not in your notes because it's not part of the prayer. But Jesus' expansion of that fifth request. And he expands it in verses 14 and 15. After the prayer is over, he says, For if you will not forgive your brother from your heart, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. So I'm not making it up when I say when we come... And we confess our sin and ask forgiveness. God is saying, the assumption is that you come as one forgiven and thus have a forgiving heart. If I've been forgiven, then I display a forgiving heart. So, if you harbor grievance and an unwillingness to forgive, God says, that's an indication you do not recognize your place before me and the lengths that you have been forgiven, the depths that you've been forgiven, the width that you've been forgiven. If you can't forgive the relative small things that people have done to you, it's an indication you don't recognize the infinite offense that you've committed against me. That's... That's the point of Jesus' parable in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, you remember, the guy was, you know, owed owed someone millions of dollars, was going to be thrown into debtor's prison, begged for forgiveness. He was, he was given that forgiveness. He goes out and finds somebody who owes him a few bucks. And he's unforgiving. And Jesus says, that guy will be thrown into outer darkness. That's what, that's what Jesus says. So serious a matter is this regarding our relationships on a horizontal plane that it affects our relationship with God vertically. That you have passages like 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 that says, Husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. The NIV says, Be considerate in the way you live with your wives. That is, not be polite in the way you live. Let me do that. But considerate means... Consider the way. Think about the way you live with your wives. Husbands, be considerate. Consider the way you live with your wives. And then it goes on to talk about them as the as the weaker vessel. But then it says, do this so that, I'm quoting, nothing will hinder your prayers. So, so Peter is saying that if as a husband on the horizontal plane, I'm not pursuing my relationship with my wife in accordance with the principles of scripture my prayers to God are going to be hindered because of that further Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 and 24 Matthew five twenty-three and 24 Jesus says if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you then leave your gift at the altar Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now again, issues on the horizontal plane between people have an effect on our relationship with God. I'm going to move on in a minute. But one of the reasons we do lots of series on things like relationships, a mess worth making, making peace, how to overcome conflict, marriage, parenting, that kind of stuff. The reason we do lots of that is because God spilled a lot of ink in the Bible about our relationships with one another and how those are a reflection of our relationship with Him. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. John says in 1 John, Can we say we love God who we cannot see if we do not love our brother who we can see? The answer is no. Again, sobering stuff, isn't it? So our relationships reflected in our prayers. We come to God and we are saying Lord forgive us. But we are coming asking the Lord to forgive us. Understanding the great gulf, the infinite gulf that has been bridged by the cross of Jesus on our behalf. And because of that great chasm that has been bridged by His cross, I can forgive anything that has been done against me. That's what He's saying. And if you can't, you don't recognize what you've been forgiven of. And if you don't recognize that, it may be because you've never truly come to Christ. So six petitions. Three with regard to the Father. Three with regard to the family. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then sixthly, page nine. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one it seems like a strange request to make. God, don't lead me into temptation. I mean, why would God be leading me into temptation? God doesn't want me to sin, so God presumably doesn't want me to be tempted. So why would He lead me into temptation? And you couple that with James chapter 1. When anyone is tempted, he should not say, God is tempted, tempting me, right? We don't, we don't blame God. So why is Jesus saying, lead us not into temptation? Well, this is a way of speaking that uses a negative form to say something positive. The fancy term is a litotes, L-I-T-O-T-E-S. But it's like this. If I say not a few people were at Saturday's event, when I say not a few, what am I saying? A lot. A bunch of people were there. So it's it's a negative way of saying something affirmative, positive. There are a lot of people there, if I say not a few. When Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, it is a way of saying positively, Lord, protect me from evil. Lead me in the paths of righteousness. And not toward those things that would would tempt me to sin. It's also an acknowledgement that the Lord is the one who is sovereign over our circumstances. And Lord, I'm asking you to direct my circumstances in such a way as that I'm not put in vulnerable positions. I'm acknowledging my complete dependence upon you for me to be spiritually protected. Jesus said to Peter on one occasion, Peter Satan desires to sift you as wheat. But I, as he says, but I have prayed for you. If I don't protect you, Peter, you're gone. And this is acknowledging that my spiritual progress and my spiritual protection are dependent upon the Lord keeping me from those circumstances and those things that would make me spiritually vulnerable. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Now, going with that, if I'm I'm dependent upon God and I'm acknowledging that in following Jesus' model prayer to protect me from, from evil and positively to advance me in my spiritual walk, if that's all true, then if I have made gains in my spiritual walk, then to whom belongs the credit? Remember who it is I'm asking to do that and who alone can do that. I'm asking God because apart from this, it won't be done. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And so when the Lord matures me and when the Lord leads me in paths of righteousness and when I find myself a year from now more mature in Christ and more Christ-like than I was a year before, who gets the praise and the credit and the glory? It's because He has led me not into temptation. And he has delivered me from the evil one. Quite a profound prayer that Jesus gives us in a few words. Six petitions, three relating to the Father's priorities, and then three relating to ours. Now, if you take a look at page 10. Starting our prayers in Jesus' name, and then offering our prayers in Jesus' way, and now, for the remaining time that we have, over the next few weeks plural, because this was supposed to be four weeks. But if you look at the top there, I want to go through all of that stuff bulleted there, which will take more than next week. So this series will continue, and then we'll start the gospel-centered life when we get done with this, okay? So probably sometime in 2013, I'm thinking. No, just a, f- a few extra weeks at it. Okay? So conforming our prayers to Jesus' word, that is, what the Bible says then, further now, based upon the foundation of coming in Jesus' name with his priorities in mind, with his glory, his purposes in mind, coming only on the merits of his person and work. I come in his name. I come in his way, prioritizing issues related to God the Father and subordinating my desires to, to his. On that foundation, now what else does the Bible say about our prayers? And that's what this next section is about, conforming our prayers to the Bible, to Jesus' word. We've seen that our prayers are based on the person and work of Jesus Christ, who has given us a model after which to pattern our prayers. With that foundation, we now take a comprehensive look at what God's word tells us about our praying. We'll see that the Bible tells us to pray confidently, and spiritually and boldly and expectantly, persistently, righteously, wisely, and forwardly. So let's begin that now and then in the ne- over the next few weeks. The Bible tells us to pray confidently. Mark 11 and verse 24. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Oh, Hawaii, here we go. I mean, we have hit the jackpot because that's what that's what people think, isn't it? You read that; these are the televangelist verses, by the way. You know, name it and claim it. In the name of Jesus, God, do this, and Jesus says, "It'll be done." Now we're going to see that there's always a context to every message. And there's a context to every passage in the Bible. But I just want you to think about this for a second. Think about if it were the case that what I desire, I tell God to do, and he does it. Guaranteed. Think about it this way. You all remember 9-11 and the tragedy that occurred that day in New York. Well, there were a lot of people who were supposed to be at work that day who didn't quite make it. Let me read for you some of the reasons some of the people weren't in the World Trade Center at the time those planes crashed uh, into those buildings. The head, of the, company, uh, the head of a company got in late on that day because he wanted to be with his child starting kindergarten. Another man is alive because it was his turn to bring donuts. A woman survived because her alarm clock didn't go off in time. Another was delayed because of an accident on the New Jersey Turnpike. One missed the bus. One spilled food on her clothes and had to take time to change. One person's car wouldn't start. One went back to answer the telephone before leaving and got in a phone conversation. A woman had a child who dawdled and didn't get ready as soon as she should have. A man with a new pair of shoes developed a blister, stopped at a drugstore to buy a Band-Aid, and that's why he's alive today. Now, what if the guy with the blister says, in the name of Jesus, heal this blister now? He's dead. Right? In the name of Jesus, get my dawdling kid ready for school. He's ready now and shows up. And there you are in the World Trade Center. Do you see, friends, that God knows? (laughs) God knows more than we do. And that we come to Him in prayer in Jesus' name. One of the things we're acknowledging is that you know better than I do. And for me to come and to demand from a sovereign God what should happen, is based upon the assumption that I have the wisdom to know what should happen? And only he has all wisdom to see all of the pieces and how they fit together? And so I must come to him humbly. And so lose the idea, if you ever had it, that we come to Jesus and we tell him what we want and he's obligated to give it to us. As a matter of fact, you don't want that because you don't know enough, and I don't know enough. Too many things happening that I can't see that only he can see. So with that then, what does it mean? When Jesus says, you ask in prayer, and if you believe, you you will receive it. Notice on page 10. The Bible teaches us to believe in prayer without abandoning our beliefs about God and ourselves. So, yes, believe in the power of prayer. But believing in the power of prayer, I still also believe who I am and who God is. He's sovereign, He's all-wise, I'm not. So I believe in prayer, but I do that without abandoning those truths. Faithful prayer hinges on how we understand the terms belief and doubt, and we want to explore those. In our final couple minutes now, notice the next paragraph. The basic problem with all definitions a believing prayer that make God the servant of our will is that the object of belief is misplaced. And you might circle or underline object there. It's the, it's the object of belief. And then the paragraph goes on to explain simply this. What we're to believe when we say we believe in the power of prayer. What we're to believe is not that I'll get what I ask for what we're to believe is that God is perfectly capable of giving me what I ask for, if it's best for me. So I I believe when I come. But what do I believe? Not that whatever I've laid out on my list, trip to Hawaii, whatever it is, is going to happen. It's I believe that the God to whom I am going has the power to do this. But I also believe he has the wisdom to know whether he should do this. And so we go on to say proper belief is not unwavering confidence that something we want will happen nor is it doubtless trust that we know what is best. Our trust is not in the thing that we want or in our sufficient faith. The success of our prayers does not lie in exceptional confidence that we've pumped enough of our own faith into our prayer and extracted out enough doubt so that now God must respond. Our belief... Belief must be in God. He, not our desire, is the object of our faith. We pray believing God is all-powerful, all-wise, infinitely loving, and we're not. We tell God our desires for matters large and small, but always our greatest desire is that his will be done. Now, you might have a Pentecostal, charismatic, televangelist friend who will tell you, listen, that's a cop-out when you pray. You're supposed to come with unshakable confidence that when I ask God to do something, it's going to get done. And here's the problem with them saying that. Jesus didn't pray that way. You remember Jesus was in a garden praying? And Jesus knew. He said, My Father could send a legion of angels to take me from this. And as a matter of fact, Lord, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. But then Jesus prayed. Jesus Christ, God the Son prayed. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. And so we say in the lines that follow, don't be cowed into feeling guilty about praying to a sovereign God as if he's really sovereign. Because Jesus did that same thing. All right? And we'll continue next week. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this week, okay?